Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Mercury, a broadcast of hope. I'm Max O'Brien, here today with Dr. Rosalind Clark, who evidently drew the short straw, and it's day 1,158 since we came back on the air. Before I get too deep into today's topic, any news, Dr. Clark? Unfortunately not. I'd love to say that I'd found something else to talk about for today, but sadly, the floor is yours, Max. Excellent. So today, listeners, I want to take you on a journey. A journey of adaptation and discovery. A journey that I think points to the idea that we should all have seen the zombies coming from miles away, uh, figuratively speaking, of course. And when we're through, I think we can all safely come to the conclusion that someone probably did see this crisis coming, and we can start the next phase of that journey, finding those responsible. Otherwise known as... Max found a book with something vaguely interesting and then took it to a completely illogical conclusion and then decided to bring it on the air. Potato, potato. So, to begin this journey, I want us all to get into the Wayback Machine, all the way back to 1580. Hang on, we don't have that kind of time. We're not going to go through the entire history of this thing. Besides, I'm not convinced that they were all the same thing. Listeners... There were seven outbreaks of what Max is about to talk about before we get to the main event in 1915. Maybe it would help if we actually tell the listeners what we're talking about. I mean, probably not. It would be like telling them that the moon is made out of green cheese. It would have about that much of an impact on their lives. But go ahead. Thanks. So listeners, what we're discussing is a condition called encephalitis lethargica. This is a disease that, through an attack on the brain, causes victims to become speechless, motionless, almost like statues. They're alive, but they don't do anything. Sometimes I think you have a similar condition. Huh? What are you talking about? I do lots around here. You do, but a lot of times the things you do are useless, and we'd rather you didn't do them. Har har. Anyway, listeners, I was put onto this theory by this passage in a book describing the condition which was a pandemic from 1915 to about 1926, infecting millions of people worldwide. It says, They would be conscious and aware, yet not fully awake. They would sit motionless and speechless all day in their chairs, totally lacking energy, impetus, initiative, motive, appetite, affect, or desire. They registered what went on around them without active attention and with profound indifference. They neither conveyed nor felt the feeling of life. They were as insubstantial as ghosts and as passive as zombies. Okay, so here's the part where Agnes would point out that the as X as Y construction is a simile. They weren't really zombies. I know where you're going with this. You're saying that this condition is a precursor to people being zombies, and it just doesn't make sense. The zombies are caused by a protozoan parasite. Encephalitis lethargica is probably caused by a virus. Ah, but couldn't a virus infect a parasite? Wait, what? Think about it. Are you suggesting that larger parasites are totally immune to any and all forms of disease? Surely they must get viruses and bacterial infections and stuff like that from time to time. I mean... Yeah, but what's that got to do with... And haven't you told me over and over that parasites can have really complex life cycles that depend on a number of factors and events? 
Well, sure, but... So is it really so far-fetched to suggest that there's a virus that causes encephalitis lethargica, which then infected a protozoa, giving us a kind of Frankenstein's monster of disease that causes zombies? The virus changes the nature of the parasite, and the parasite influences the behavior of the host. Bingo! No, no bingo. Yes, that's totally far-fetched. I won't go so far as to say it's impossible, but it's so unlikely that even if we had the resources to research it, it would be close to the bottom of my list of things to look at. There are so many other things that deserve our attention before this, starting with the isolation and identification of the parasite itself. I don't have the equipment for that, and I don't know anybody who does. But you admit it could be worth looking at. I mean, if we ran out of other things first, I guess. But you're presenting this as if it's a fact. And that's not how science works. But okay, you got it out there in the air. Listeners, if anybody has high-end microbiology equipment that's still working, here's a thing for you to put on what I suspect is already a long list of things to spend time researching. There. There. Happy now, Max? Thrilled! Thanks, Dr. Clark. I knew we'd work together to get this figured out. And don't worry, I'll make sure you get part of the credit for figuring out it was a parasite in the first place. Part of the credit? Max O'Brien, I swear. Thanks for tuning in today, listeners. We'll be back tomorrow. For Mercury, a broadcast of hope, this has been Max O'Brien and Dr. Rosalind Clark. Take care of each other.